Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. At MidwayUSA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. For $5 a month, you can actually see the Thin Green Line interviews and other video content on Patreon.com. Just search the Thin Green Line podcast on Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and feel like you're part of the conversation. Join us. Thanks for tuning in to the Thin Green Lines interview with Barry Kirch. Now here's John Norris, Wayne Saunders, and Barry Kirch for part two. So that, that's, the, that's the cooking standpoint of what you're doing, you know, um, in the house, on tour, you know, doing grills and stuff. But the outdoor element, cooking over a fire. And yeah. we talked a little bit about that, whether it's a hunt, uh, you know, nomadic survival camp. And I've seen some of the, the stuff you're doing that, that I want to dive in with you and explore as we've discussed. Talk about your outdoor cooking because that's such a neat element of mm. cooking over an open fire. Uh, cooking things you've harvested or even bringing things in to mix it up and, and get that great taste with the cuisine that you can't always get. Um, you have to improvise because of all the materials you don't have, the resources um, like you would, you know, at home. And uh, what, what's your forte there and what do you like and, to do? And there? I love the story, Barry, when you told that Razorback story, you ended it with, yeah. I shot a tasty sow that night. And that was, that just, <laughs> this just grabbed me because that's what the kind of guy you are, that the trophy was there. And yeah, you were more scared, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then I shot a tasty sow. And that's, uh, I, I, yeah. I, I just resonated with me because that sounded, uh, I'm like, boy, that sounded really good. <laughs> Well, what am I gonna do with a big ugly hog? That's right. Yeah, that's what I do, man. Eat your sows are the best. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, when it comes to cooking in the great outdoors, I think keeping it simple is the best part of it. You know, yeah. if mm. if you pack in some veggies and you just throw those directly over the fire, and the wood wood's important. You know, um, around here we have a lot of slash pine, and and we'll use like lighter wood to start the fire. But you got to wait for that to burn off, otherwise your food's gonna taste horrible. It's gonna taste like turpentine. Mm. Um, so using good oak or hickory or even maple when available is, is a lot of the flavor in your food. Nice. I always carry around also some pre-made mixes like, uh, I'll have in my pack, um, some salt and pepper, but also like a couple seasonals that I've made or, or, or store bought if I, I have a store bought one and 
it's amazing what a little salt and pepper will do to bring that dish alive. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's not hard. And I think the biggest thing is um, temperature control over those fires. Yes. You know, and not burning your meat or at least making sure you get it cooked relatively through. Yeah. You can eat uh, venison pretty rare, but uh, if you're going to, and I've never, I've eaten bear, but I've never hunted bear, but uh, you know, something like that, you want to cook a little bit more because they have so many, you know, nobody wants trichinosis. Right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it, knowing those little things and, and keeping cleanliness is important. Um, one of the things we like to do at our hunt camp is we'll buy a bushel of oysters because there's a place right at the street oh, that's got nice. fresh yeah. oysters wow. and we'll throw those on the fire. You know, you throw those on a rack, you shuck them, throw them on a rack. And that's a those. Florida hunting camp that's, for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That doesn't happen that's everywhere. Crazy, no. man, <laughs> Maybe Rocky Mountain about, oysters no. where John is. <laughs> Yeah. 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 It makes you feel a lot better when you don't have a successful day. At least you got oysters. Yeah, brother, we don't, we don't have we don't have the surf and turf option up here in Montana, man. When it's big game time, and you, I don't think Wayne might. He's a little closer. Yeah, we're we're there. close, so we could do it. But that's pretty cool. Yeah. I believe you guys are more the meat and potatoes vibe up there. I don't think I want oysters in Montana. Right, the right kind. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can get a good, you can get a good trout out of the stream. And there you go, there you go. Get your good fish. So. You know, and that's one of the things you said, Barry, about what you can do with just a couple of spices, salt and pepper, maybe a little mm. seasoning. And something up here we do, um, and I'd love to share that is these glacier high lake trout that are mm. so delicious and don't need a whole lot of breading and a whole lot of you know extra stuff added to them and just cooking them on an open fire right by the lake that's how we do it up here you know we'll, we'll cook them for lunch if we're having a good successful fishing day uh then we'll take a you know we'll take a limb at home and then we'll catch and release to, to keep that population going really well sure and, you know and i it's, it's funny growing up as a game warden and being a big game hunter primarily i wasn't really into fish which is odd, you know, all my colleagues and Wayne and coming from a coastal state and I was on a coastal state in California, we had some of the best seafood, but I mm. wasn't that guy that was really into that. But I started, you know, going for the, the high lake trout and getting into the pike and things like that. And when they're prepared, right, critical, you know, word prepared, right. They're amazing and they don't yeah. take much seasoning, but it's, it's getting that, that temperature control, like you said, over the fire, um, you know, letting that fire burn down just enough when you're, when you're doing that, that pan sear and just sealing that flavor. And man, it's some of the most delicious food ever outside of it being fish, uh, you know, meat or whatever. Really, really cool. And I think it, and you guys can both resonate. Wayne and I talk about this all the time, having lived out of our trucks for 30 plus years, right. everything tastes so much better. And drinks, even water from a stream, tastes so much better when you're out there breathing fresh air and feeling so small and so alive and so grateful to have these resources and knowing how fleeting that can be to survive out there. It just feels the level of passion and, and, and the level of feeling alive, for lack of yeah. a better word, is just incredible. And it's amazing how good that stuff tastes when you're preparing it yourself, right? Yeah, there's a... You're right. It, it's a complete different flavor, especially when you harvest it yourself and you go through the work and you're thankful for getting it and you realize, man, my ancestors had to do this every day. That's yeah. um, this is this is a career, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, food was not guaranteed, people. It didn't always come in plastic. Um, it's there's not a better feeling, especially sitting there in the wide open. You got your little fire, or, or you know, even a big fire, but you got your fire going, and you go that just came out of that stream over there or the ocean over there. And now I'm able to feed my family with it. And it just, there's nothing better. And, and especially with fish, I agree with you. The simpler is better. And not that I don't love a good fried fish or something like that. I do. Yeah, I do too, mm. for sure. But uh, 
when you get a really fresh, well-cooked fish and I like slow and low over a fire sometimes, yeah. um, man, there's nothing better. There really isn't. Yeah. Oh. It's great stuff. And you know, what about Dutch oven cooking? Have you ever done any of that or been exposed to it? We, we did that in the grand Canyon for the first time, uh, with our guides and doing Dutch oven every night, uh, on that epic, you know, river and Canyon. It, it, it was magical how good that tasted. It was my first exposure about 15 years ago. And, you know, we do it periodically it's involved, but, um, have you had any exposure there and what do you like about that? If you have. Yeah, actually, I, I've done a, quite a bit of Dutch oven cooking. You're talking about taking the cast iron and doing it over the coals, oh, yeah. the coals on top. Yeah, um, yeah, that's great. And uh, here's a little tip for you hunters out there. Uh, the deer neck is really good nice. in a Dutch oven. So if you get the neck, there's so much meat on there, but obviously it's kind of hard to, to – I actually made deer neck jerky this year off of the one that I was able to harvest because um, you get that, that first flap off is really yeah. good for jerky. But uh, – get that thing in there with some root vegetables and maybe some beef stock and whatever else. And you, you get that over the coals, put your coals on top, close it and leave it for the day. When you're done with your hunt for that day and you come back to that, it's one of the best meals you can have. You've got a, a venison stew waiting on you. Yeah. Um, I've done that. I've done chili out there with it. Chili's always a great staple for camping because it's, it fills you up and you can, I like to, um, I like to take potatoes, tinfoil them, throw them in the fire. And then when you get your chili done, you got some great baked potatoes. You put the chili over the baked potato. You're super full. You're fat and happy. Um, and you've got some food energy for the rest of the, the day or night or whatever. So oh, it's I, I do a lot of Dutch oven cooking. I, I like classic campfire cooking and, and, and that type of thing. You know, chuck wagon cooking. I've got chuck wagon books. I've got a set up <laughs> in my backyard. My wife makes fun of me. She's, you're so happy every time you're cooking outside. I'm like, I know. I love it. Um, but I've got a... <laughs> I got a fire pit set outside that some days I'll just go out there and make a fire and, and, and cook outside. I've got a great kitchen at home, but I'd rather be outside cooking over an open fire. That's so cool, man. Yeah. yeah and that's, you know, that's starting to become more and more of a thing nationally. And when we, you mm -hmm. know, we get further, further into the interview, um, I won't jump too far ahead, but survival cooking outdoors has just become a thing, you know, yeah. given what we're facing and, and, and the need to be sure. self-sustaining with family and going from there. Yeah. Mm -hmm absolutely yeah no and i think we were to jump into that because you, you you talked about when you open up your freezer that you have stuff in there for prepping and that you're kind of a prepper and john and i one of our first interviews was with a, a friend of mine who is a prepper and it just opened a lot of doors and and one thing he said to to me that really hit me he's like uh how many canning jars do you have on hand and i'm like I don't know, a dozen? He's like, well, I know you got two big freezers just like I do, Wayne. What are you going to do when you, your freezers don't have any more electricity? You know? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. he's like, I'm going to can it. He goes, I got I got five dozen boxes down here, and I'm going to be able to can all my meat uh, with my canning jars. And and he's like, sure. and don't look on the internet for that. You better have a good book that tells you how to can meat. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about a shot across yeah. the bow? I was like, yeah. just, yeah. I, I thought I was pretty Wake prepared. <laughs> and yeah, right. I got I got floored. And then you mentioned uh, having some prep stuff in your freezer and that you were kind of a prepper. Yeah. And I, I'd really like to go there and kind of get your, you know, your feed from that and uh, and learn and sure. learn. That's that's the nice thing about podcasts. We can learn from each other. I love it. Yeah. Um, he's right. And I, I'd like to say I'm as prepared as he is, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> I do have a lot of jars. I do can, uh, certain things. I haven't got into canning meats. Mm. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm, I'm still nervous to do it. I never I liked it. I, ruin it. I tried it and I just, I'm not a fan. I can see preserving it for prepping if yeah. we don't have power, 
But yeah, I'm not going to eat that mm. on a normal basis. It just comes out, no, it falls out. It's, it's not, not my favorite way to eat meat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you're gonna. I'm, I'm gonna cut that up. I'm gonna put it in a pan and cover it with whatever I can because it's yeah, mm. yeah, it, it yeah. definitely tastes like <laughs> canned meat. Um, but I, I do pickle a lot of things. I pickle vegetables when I get them from my garden and, and mm. things of that nature. Um, cool. I love to pickle, and I just like pickles in general. Um. But I, I do have my freezer. I have a backup generator. So, you know, I live in Florida. Hurricanes happen mm-hmm. every other year. So you need a generator. And power has gone out here um, a few times. And I don't want to lose that freezer full of meat. You know, we make fun of, at least the guys that I hunt with, make fun of how expensive the meat is from, you know, the time and everything. The per pound of venison is Absolutely. expensive from the time you put in. Um, I don't want to lose that. No. And it's happened. Um, to myself and to a, a, one of one of my hunting partners, you know, he lost a freezer and happened to not be home. Mm. Um, I we had a hurricane and the power was out longer than I could sustain it, so that was unfortunate. I ended up just cooking a lot of it. Um, but uh, at the same time, I, I gifted myself a, one of those Harvest Right freeze dryers, um, nice. and that is very helpful and does a great job. And now I've got twenty year shelf life stable food that I made. Mm. Um, that I know what's in it and all I have to do is add some water at a hunt camp and I'm good to go. And I try to keep a lot of that on hand. Um, and then I, I keep a few bug out bags and, you know, I'm not one of those guys that worries, worries that the world is going to end and, uh, and our whole infrastructure is going to be gone. Right. And, right. and I think we fall in that category and, too. And definitely, uh, we yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. But if something like that does happen, I want to at least be able to survive for a few weeks till I figure out what the hell we're going to do. Yeah. Right. Um, and have a plan in that situation. I'm not going to be on my, on my roof trying to snipe people or anything like that, or you know, right. take my neighbor's house, but you know, <laughs> if I'm yeah, out of power, we're going to eat just fine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at that point, Barry, it's, 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 it's the basic realistic needs when it's going to come up. You in Florida with hurricanes, us with these big snowstorms and, and, yeah. and I mean, just a week and a half ago, we had power go out for three and a half days up here in Northwest Montana. Right. And that's the longest it's ever been out since I've lived here. And our backup generator to run the whole house was literally running for almost three days. And we'd shut it down at wow. night. You know, the freezer would sustain all night, guys. And then I'd have to kick it on in the morning just to heat the house and make sure our, our perishables, Wayne, like you were saying, and Barry, uh, didn't go. Because we've got, you know, since COVID, there was an extra freezer purchased. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's full of game meat and other stuff. But... Um, that was a that was an eye opener, and it's not so much about the apocalyptic end, but what if we're shut down for three, four, five days, and mm. we got to feed the family, or the power does yeah. go out beyond that? Those are realistic things I think we need to prep for. And right, um, and, and empty shelves COVID, during COVID kind of kicked that off too. To you know, are you prepared? Not, yeah. are not I guess preppers yeah. have a bad name, but it's being prepared for situations like that. And to be honest with you, we didn't have three cases of toilet paper. <laughs> so no, uh, we didn't either. Right. Yeah. So I yeah. was a little nervous when that was out for a while. <laughs> like, I hope we're not going to run out by the time we get there. So, uh, you know, yeah, but that, those that wasn't the, a good idea. No. <laughs> I was like, man, we're going to be in a bad place. Yeah. yeah this, 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 but one of the things we need to think about moving forward, if we haven't learned anything from COVID, that was kind of a shot across the bow because it certainly mm. could have been a lot worse, but it was alarming enough. And I know we've talked about this a little bit before on other shows and, and uh, Wayne and I, like he mentioned, have as well um, through the heat of when COVID dropped. Those were our first big episodes when this podcast started. Um, but man, what an eye opener. And that's, you know, one of the things I really got to like when you and I got to first start talking about you is you're like us, you're a gear, you're a gadget guy. 
<laughs> you know, you yes, like I am. you like cool tools, whether it's firearms, flashlights, cooking implements, but but it goes beyond just liking good gadgets. These are gadgets that are going to get us through to the next day, rain or shine, power or not, sleet, snow, hurricane, whatever. Um, and I think a lot more people in America kind of got onto that that uh, in, into yeah. that mindset. You know, when yeah, COVID I think it's dropped. Yeah, I think it scared them when they realized here I am a, a and I'm not making fun of city person, but I'm a city person and I have none of these skills and my city is shut down. Right. Mm. What, what, what do I do? What yeah. do I do? And I think it really forced them to take a, a look internally and go, I don't know how to cook because I'm used to going to the bodega at the end of the street every day. I don't know. I have nothing in my house. You know, I've got a, a lot of friends that work with us, my management company and my label, they're all based out in New York city. They're still right. shut down. Right. And not all of them. They're like, now what? I've got a one bedroom studio apartment and I can't go anywhere. Mm, That's right. a weird feeling, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it turned a lot of people around. It turned yeah. a lot of people around. And that's a good thing uh, yeah. now that the panic of it has passed. I think initially it was a bad thing because people were hoarding toilet paper and, and just mm. weird things because everybody went in full panic um, and weren't really being rational about what they needed. And, and neither were the stores. The stores, you know, they end up having to start limit things. And it, it was very, it was so irrational, mm. um, the things they were worried about. But then again, none of us alive have been through this. So now we know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think as bad as it's been, and, and we talk about this a lot on the show, is always play to the positives in any bad experience. And what did we learn out of this? And, and, you know, you said it best, brother, at the beginning was we stopped going on the road. We stopped doing conventions and trade shows and book signings. And just like you on the band, I mean, I was – you know, for 18 months, I, I was in Montana, maybe a month total for the first right. year and a half of relocating here after retiring from California. And don't get me wrong. I love that aspect. I think we're very blessed to do what we do and be on an outreach resort. It's musically mentoring, instructing, teaching, training, making the world a better place. But um, COVID shut that down and everything went to Zoom remoteness. And I was home for a whole summer. I was home for a whole spring. I got to spend time with aunts and uncles and family and friends. Um, bandmates, you know, that I never did before. Um, and right. in the process of that, got to spend more time in the outdoors. And I know I've shared this, finally got to get into a wilderness area and explore lakes I've never been into. And I think that was so recentering, you know, mm-hmm. it just it just brought back what really matters. And it 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 kind of changed the perception of what we do professionally, not to obviously we're all workaholics to to be effective yeah. and we and we we take it very seriously and we're very blessed and don't take that for granted. But to put it in perspective, you know, put it in perspective. I mean, with your wife and daughter and, and being close and, and knowing there was a shortage of things. And it sounds um, like a song. I think that was, I think this was, there was a positive experience for us all. Right. Wayne yeah. to come out of this thing and regroup with what's important and be better prepared, you know, for the future. Yeah. So we're not caught quite uncom- as uncomfortable next time around. Heaven forbid it happens again or even worse. Sure. And it was nice to slow down, honestly. Yeah. You know, I think all of us, uh, you guys, I would imagine our programs, we're, we're all programmed very similar as we're go-getters and we got to go, 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 and I got to get it done. Um, and, and I think in order to be effective in, in the careers you guys chose, uh, you have to be that, that type of personality, not necessarily type A, because I'm not a type A person, but I'm a very aggressive worker. Um, I think that's important. And when you finally take a seat back and you go, Whew, Oh, yeah. This is nice to slow down. And I don't <laughs> sit down. I, I never, I, th- right now I'm sitting down, but typically throughout the day, I don't sit down. My wife gets mad at me because I never sit down. I don't sit on the couch and watch TV. It's just not in my makeup. And they call my, 
I always stand in this one particular area in the kitchen that overlooks the TV. <laughs> they, call, they call it <laughs> they call it my office because I'm in there and, and yeah, the TV's on, <laughs> but I'm actually doing something else. And I just, I can't sit down. You know, Why don't you join us on the couch and watch a movie? I'm like, nah, I got other things I want to do. Um, yeah, very, very but, in tactics. We call that the overwatch position and situational awareness. The perch. You're kind of right. <laughs> of course you guys have a name for that. You have a name for everything. <laughs> and probably an acronym to go with it. You got to make it sound fancy. You got to make it sound cool, right? Yeah. What's what's your acronym for when you have to go uh, poop in the woods? You have to that too? Yeah, we call that a combat squat. There you go. See, I knew you would. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question for you guys. This is a uh, totally off topic, but um, it's not off topic. It's on topic, but not exactly what we we're just talking about. Um, what would you recommend, and how would you like say I want to go hunting on public lands? You know, and here's this dreadlocked bearded weirdos coming to my state park. Right. How would you want to be approached as a game warden? Cause you, I'm going to go check in. I'm going to follow all the rules and that type of thing and say, Hey, it's Turkey season. I want to go do some spring Turkey hunting. How would you want to be approached as a warden by a stranger who is probably armed or getting ready to be armed to go into the hunting area? Um, what are those scenarios like for you guys? And, and how do you, at the time, obviously you're retired now, but how, how did you want to be approached by the civilian in those situations? What's a good way to do that? And, and you know, I think it'd be interesting from a, a warden perspective, hey, this is what we're looking for, um, for the, the civilian out there that's going to do that type of thing. Man, Barry, that's, that's a really good question. No one's ever asked that. So one, I'm going to say thanks for Wayne and I both for asking that mm. because the real solution to that is just going in, honest, enthusiastic, not intimidated. Like if, if people come up to us or they, they give that, you know, we call it that furtive movement. They're getting jiggy. Maybe there's something to hide. We're kind of concerned. Well, you know, is this man or woman, are they okay? Uh, you know, could they possibly be a criminal with a history? Do they have a warrant? Um, are they really legitimate sportsmen or sportswomen, conservationists, or are they just out hiding out in the woods? And we get a lot of bad people hiding out in the woods to get off the, sure. the LE radar. But if you, you know, if you're not armed and you come up to us and, you know, you say, looking you know the rock star hippie whatever look there's a lot of people you know, that look up. like you barry that we deal with so yeah, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of hippie outdoorsmen there's a lot yeah. of outdoorsmen <laughs> look just like you <laughs> and yeah, we love yeah. them <laughs> <laughs> and in our world brother it's all good but it's, it's that it's really that approach you know it's just mm. coming in um unassuming you know not defensive not giving off a bad vibe, you know, yeah. movements. And we can sense that. Exactly. When, yeah. we get to, when, when people are anxious or when people are intimidated by law enforcement, you know, it's that, you know, it's that vibe with the same thing on tour. You can just sense yeah. it in people and we sense it all the time. And that's that spider sense, six sense that we rely mm -hmm. on to survive a bad encounter. And they've saved our lives mm -hmm. for both Wayne and I and our colleagues many times, but just coming up friendly, approachable, uh, you know, not defensive, not showing any type of threat where, you know, if you, if you had a gun and it's not in your hand, when you're seeing the warden, leave it in the truck. You know, yeah. maybe unload it and then, hey, how you doing, sir or ma'am? I'm so-and-so, you know, I'm Barry Kirch from so-and-so and, -so, and I'm, I'm just coming into this public land area. I'm doing turkeys for the first time. Uh, you know, I've only been hunting for about 10 years. Do you guys have any tips? When you when you approach us like that, we we're love like, it. oh man, this is an ally. This is a mm -hmm. part of the thin green line. We're, we're 
I'm, I'm going to pull out all the stops and so are Wayne. We're going to help you get a turkey. We're going to tell you the hot spots to go. Yep. And if you got your little girl with you, the, the coolest experiences ever, man, as a patrol game warden was seeing, you know, father and daughter, father and son, any mother, son, whatever combination out there, paying it forward to the next generation. And they're out there on that first hunt and maybe they haven't harvested an animal and you can get them on track to do so, or you can have that yeah. great educational conversation and, or when they do get that animal, and I remember a particular, um, a particular case that resonates as probably a top five experience. And it was actually Wayne and, and Barry when we were filming our Wild Justice Game Warden reality show for Nat Geo, the f- second season. And I'm on mm-hmm. an ATV in one of my wildlife areas in California. And our A-zone deer season, Barry, it's 90 to 100 degrees. It's small black-tailed deer. Not a lot different than what you're doing, um, sure. except guys are kind of spotting and stalking in oak woodlands, you know, and running big mountains. And uh, this, this young kid, you know, he was 13, 14 years old with his father, got his first A-zone blacktail. It was a little fork and horn. It wasn't a monster buck, but, you know, it was the trophy of a lifetime, like my sure. first buck. And I, I took a tiny little crab claw, man, at 14 and a half. And that was the best experience ever hunting, right, mm-hmm. to get into it. Like Wayne has the same experiences. But I remember they were like five miles into the backcountry. They were out of water. This deer is going to spoil. They got to drag this thing partially boned out and they're going to just they're getting their butts kicked to get back oh, wow. and no vehicles allowed in this area they park in a parking area and it's all walk-in only and i did what typically we don't normally do because i had a whole opening season of hunters to check i had an atb in iraq i had my patrol lab with me so we adjusted i took their deer on the on the uh, atv um took the deer back to the vehicle had some water gave it to him brought him back some water and and saw them all the way out to the vehicle back to the staging area so that meat didn't spoil because it would have broken it was just heartbreaking to see this kid with his first deer and knowing that 15 minutes later that meat was going to be gone if we didn't get it the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by john browning the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the u.s military from 1911 to 1985 while colt produced the original almost every major firearm company has produced its own version It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Oh, wow. But, you know, it was was that approach. It was just how cool they were and how honest they were. And, uh, you know, they weren't doing anything wrong. And something we see in the thin green line of game wardens that makes it very unique for our job is... We don't want to push people away and be that intimidating law enforcement factor that puts a bad tone or a bad taste in anybody's mouth. Now, if mm-hmm. you're a deliberate poacher, we're going to come down hard on you, mm-hmm. you know, As you should. We're, we're, and you guys too, you guys out there are part of our thin green line as conservationists and you're turning in poachers because they're decimating what we all love. But that's only, that's a very small percentage of who we deal with as game wardens. And that's what made our job so cool is they were guys like you. You know, they were allies. They were basically not badged officers, but you guys are an extension of our thin green line. And you're like our little satellites out there protecting wildlife and being informants. So um, that's what we look for. Mm. Um, And when you look at us as allies and you come and seek us out, we're really humbled and really honored by that because, because even a majority of ethical legal hunters will say, okay, you know, I don't really, I haven't seen game wardens that much. I know I'm, I think everything's legal. I did everything I could, but Maybe I missed something and I hope he doesn't talk to me, you know, and we sense that vibe and then you're not, it it might not be a good fluid conversation where we're going to be as supportive. So 
if uh, long-windedly, if that kind of makes sense. But that is a great question, huh, Wayne, that I just it we haven't gotten. That's cool, man. Thanks for asking that. It is, absolutely. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate the answer, and it does make sense, you know. And it's it's not that, a, you know, at least for me personally, I'm not nervous to go talk to, to anybody, and especially not a, a game warden. I find it fascinating. I want to know the hot spots of wherever I'm at, yeah. Uh, yeah. whether it's fishing or not. And if anybody's going to know, it's the local game warden that works there. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to know that that's kind of the approach to take because it's got to be scary for you guys and, and you gals that are in that business. You've got people with loaded weapons everywhere and mistakes happen every year, every time. And it's got to be a scary thing to know that that's what you're going into every day. Um, I, I don't know that I could do what you guys do because of that. You know, you have to put a lot of trust, not only in your training and yourselves, but you have to oddly trust people that yeah. have yeah. deadly force with them. And that's, that's got to be difficult. It's funny imagine. you say that because uh, it's that sixth sense we develop. Uh, a friend of mine who's a chief of police, he drove with me one day and we checked hunters. And he said the same thing. We got in the, the cruiser after a while. He's like, I don't know how you do this. I, I, he goes, I'm all nerved up around guns all the time because that's the way I'm trained. I see a gun and I got to address it. You know, there's a problem because I see I, a gun. Where we see a gun, yeah. it's a normal thing. We have to rely, just like John said, on interpreting the body language, the conversation, and using, and I, I use that sixth sense because it saved me so many times. So when the, when the hair stands up on the back of your neck, I tell, tell people that I train, believe it. Believe it. Even if you're wrong, you're going to be right. But nine times out of ten, believe that sixth sense because you've developed it by learning people. And when there's something wrong, there really is something wrong, and believe it and act on it. So, but yeah, no, I, <laughs> I thanks for taking that, that perspective. Sense. So, because uh, a lot of yeah, people no. don't think about that. Mm. Well, you know, it's, I think it's different being out in the woods and a woodsman with you guys than when you get pulled over by a police officer and you were right. speeding. Mm-hmm. You know, that's right. a different feeling. You're like, okay do I have everything? Where's my paperwork? Uh, and you get a little nervous because you're like, do I have everything in order? And you know, you broke the law. You were speeding. You know, you mm-hmm. did it. Everybody knows they do it. You can try to get out of it. You know, you were speeding. Um, so that's a different feeling than I imagine being in the woods. And then you're walking up on me. That's mm-hmm. different, you know, and I, maybe I'm in my, my hunting zone and, and, you know, I don't necessarily know that you were coming. So I, I can, I, it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me the work you guys do and, 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 and have done in the past. It's just truly fascinating. Well, we, we appreciate it, brother. And one of the things that's so cool about the job and, and you know, what you just said is you're, you're deep in the woods, you're in a tree stand. And next thing you know, behind you is maybe another, maybe a camoed out game warden that's behind you. And they've just been watching you for maybe hours, mm. you know, you have right. no idea. And, and that's a very unnerving feeling for, the hunter. And it's also a very, you know, potentially dangerous situation for us as game wardens. But um, some of the most heinous violations happen so far in the backcountry, so far behind lock gates um, by people really poaching a lot of animals because they're cut off and they don't normally see a game warden or game wardens don't have that access. But some of the most critical like wildlife saving cases were illegal baiting operations that I did out in California. And they might be 30 miles into the backcountry that took a commitment of trucks, ATVs, then a hike, then setting up a camouflage hide, setting up surveillance. 
and watching literally a, a spot for a whole deer season because it was like a conspiracy enterprise going on where not only were way too many animals being taken from a baiting operation, or you were getting the genetics of big bucks from out of the area where they needed to be spread out for, for genetic diversity. Now they're coming into one concentrated area and not only are they all getting killed, but you know, the meats may be getting sold you know, commercially and all wow. kinds of heinous stuff. And when we get into commercial wildlife, you know, and, and, and stuff that I, you, we really haven't dove into with you, but to do cases like that, you got to be pretty sneaky and you got to get in, uh, in unconventional ways. And it's unnerving, you know, it's unnerving when we do those contacts and you finally mm -hmm. make that takedown or bust. Um, because these are guys that feel very, very insulated, because they're so far back in their own little realm and they know it's so arduous to get to them that they're never going to get caught and they get very greedy because they think they're never going to get caught. And that's what we call the intentional violator versus the sportsman that just makes a mistake that we want to get right. a warning to and we want to, you know, mentor and, and, and kind of nurture that relationship. Um, so it, it can be unnerving on both sides. It's just, and it's, and again, so few are that bad as far as the poaching side. That's a very small percentage, um, but they all have guns. And when you're that far in the backcountry, uh, you, you can imagine how that can go. Um, yeah. For one, the hunter, you know, a hunter seeing a game warden and then being that game warden that might have to have a contact, maybe issue a citation, seize a weapon. Uh, you know, if it is a poaching issue, it's um, that's, that's the challenge of the job, certainly. And uh, mm, right. it's something, uh, something we just try to do as safely as possible. And, and fortunately, Wayne and I made it out safe after uh, some good careers. Right. And I imagine with those guys, those situation, when you're getting into a, a poacher of that caliber, they probably have some priors and other things that make it Definitely. even more dangerous to be around them because they don't care. <laughs> they just yeah. don't. They don't. There's no respect there at that point. Yeah. But a guy like you coming up to approach, you're, you're an ally. You're part mm -hmm. of the team, man. And once we have that conversation, um, I know I speak for Wayne and I both what made us effective as game wardens. And then eventually when we became team leaders and our game wardens is developing a level of trust with the community and getting a group of informants that are so passionate about wildlife. And they see that, you know, like, like you as a drummer, you're respected in the rock and roll industry because you're a great drummer, you're hardworking, you're professional, um, and you're a team guy. It's the same way in our profession when the public and, 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 you know, these, these are people you, you don't just get, the respect from instantly ranchers that have had cattle ranches and hunting clubs, you know, for a hundred, 200 years. And I'm going back to, you know, lifelong friends in California for them to trust you to a level where they will call you for a violation. They'll let you onto their property, give you a key to patrol anytime you have to be there for them. And they have to know that you're going to take care of a problem when a problem arises, you know? Um, and if you don't follow through with that, you know, and you burn that bridge, you might have cut off a whole area, man, of a deer population, an elk herd that you're never going to get on the inner circle and animals are going to get poached and destroyed that you're never going to be made aware of, um, especially when you're working your hometown. And so for like Wayne and I, I mean, I literally spent out of, out of 28 years, 25 of those were in the Silicon Valley where I grew up. So I was actually working my hometown. So there was, a, you know, there was an added element of urgency there to be good to my home peeps, so mm. to speak. Wayne as well. Um, you know, you're in your hometown. So, you know, all, all that, all that really matters. Um, so developing that reputation and getting friends like you and other guys and, and, you know, on that note and a little long winded, but we, uh, there's that, what we call the poacher to preacher concept, um, where I would apprehend a violator that was, you know, he was a regular poacher, not a violent guy necessarily, you know, good hearted, wasn't doing crazy, heinous other crimes, but 
he was a chronic poacher. He didn't pay attention to seasons. He hunted big bucks in the rut in parks or, you know, whatever. And, you know, you make a case on somebody like that, but you have a conversation that isn't abrasive. Uh, you're as respectful as you can be. You know, you're as empathetic as you can be. Um, you don't, you don't go overly aggressive, but you say, Hey, look, this is horrible what you're doing. I got to take you on this. I got to issue this site. I got to seize this weapon. And I got to be honest, man, you're hurting wildlife for this reason. It's not your way, the way of life you agree with, but this is what I'm about. I've had guys like that come back to me in a year and go, you know what? You were so cool the way you treated me. You could have been a complete ass because I know I had a, I've been poaching for years. I was not that guy that deserved a warning. I admit that they've been through court. They've had their conviction. They paid their fine. Maybe they've lost hunting privileges for three years. Maybe they've lost them in heinous cases forever. And, um, but say, I really like how you treated me, man. And can I have your number? I'd like to, I know a lot of stuff and I want, and I agree. It's not the way we should be doing things. I don't want to be a poacher anymore. Our, our thin green line of wildlife resources is so precious. And then I get this informant that end up leading to the best cases that we wow. ever have on the wildlife front because Wayne and I can't, we can't just go out there and patrol and find it. We are, I mean, it's, it's a needle in a stack of needles as, <laughs> as low numbers as we are as game wardens for all the stuff going on out there, especially through COVID. So it's those relationships. And that's how I, I would address you had I not knowing you in the field um, right. and, and make an ally and you'd, you'd like us and we'd have that friendship and you know, you'd, you'd probably be really re receptive to, uh, to helping us out if you did see something and absolutely. Uh, that's what the thin green line's about. We're a force multiplier now, you know? Mm, yeah, I like exactly. it. That's how it should be. You know, I, I think doubt. if we're all on the same page and enjoy uh, the wild as much as we do, you, you want to take care of it and, and, and treat it with the respect it deserves, you know? Yeah. And you know, that kind of one of the, the, the final toward the end questions we, I was going to ask you, um, one of the coolest things about meeting you is seeing a conservationist in what we consider a non-traditional conservation-like lifestyle, right? You think a, a rock and roll drummer, you think a rock and roll bands, you don't hear too much of the rock and roll music industry being really mm -hmm. necessarily overtly passionate about the outdoors and the thin green line and conservationists. And then so meeting you through our mutual friend, John, um, over at Silver Spear was, was a real blessing, man, to, to get to know what you're about and share it. And something we've been able to do since retirement is branch out to untraditional areas in professions that have that same passion. Whether they hunt or fish or not, they love the outdoors, they believe in conservation and, and uh, you know, our, our resources that are, that are under siege all the time. It's been neat to see it through you in the rock and roll world. I know there's some country artists uh, that I've gotten to know through, through other you know, brand outreach type guys. Um, the off-road racing community uh, has a lot of hardcore conservationists within it and they have some reach. I'm working with them. But what can you say about your industry and, and other people to promote it within rock and roll? Because, you know, there, there's some rockers out there that love the outdoors like you. You know, I know some of the Metallica guys and, uh, you know, I, I think of some of the country artists uh, that are also involved. Um, what's been your vibe there and how can we help expand this message and, and get more eyes and ears and, and, and uh, participation in the thin green line, if you will? Sure. I, I think it's actually, it would be surprising to a lot of people how many in my industry uh, are the outdoorsy type and like to get away. And, and much like myself, you spend so much time locked into clubs, venues, arenas, whatever. Yeah. Uh, when you're done with that, you want to get out. Um, so, you know, I know the singer from Stained, Aaron Lewis, he's a yes. big bow hunter, massive bow hunter. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about that before, but even the non-hunters, there's a lot of guys that might my uh, bass player is a big fisherman and he's a big outdoorsy guy and he grew up hunting. Um, 
in the Carolinas, but he, he one day just stopped. He couldn't do it anymore. It wasn't for him. And uh, I respect that, you know, he knew that it wasn't for him and he just doesn't do it anymore, but he still loves the outdoors. Um, there's a lot of us. And I think one, we probably could do a better job being more vocal about that, right. but being in the entertainment industry, sometimes you pick and choose your battles because you don't want to alienate a large right. portion of your audience. So you got to be really careful about that. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Um, especially as a younger band, you know, myself being a little more established, I have a little more leeway to go. This is what I'm about. Um, Cause some people do frown upon it. You know that I know that. Um, right. um, but I think from what we could use more is knowing how we can help. Yeah. You know, yeah, we have a voice and we have, I could say, this is what I'm about, but where can we do that? How can we help? What organizations can we align with? Um, it's something I'd love to know. And maybe you guys can enlighten me in ways that, and, and enlighten the people that are eventually going to be viewing this, where do we go to help? You know, I'd love to know even locally. And I've, I've thought of this, you know, locally, how can I help conservation where I'm at right now? Do I go to the local game wardens and go, how can I help you? Or, you know, what is that that we can do with our power of uh, who we are as people and, and how many people we can talk to and, and how we can get out there? What do we do? Right. Yeah, I think I think one of the coolest things, and, and Wayne, I, I think you'd agree with this, is one, being vocal where you can. So having a podcast like this with us with a little bit of reach is great. Um, something I've noticed with the other podcasts we've done together, the band, you know, Shinedown's been putting that out and sharing it, which is really cool. And I hope certainly we'll, we'll tag and, you know, if you guys want to share this as well. Great conversation for people to hear without alienating anybody. Because one thing we say within the Thin Green Line is conservation isn't, about you don't have to be a hunter and angler to be all about the thin green line of environment. You know, um, we are a unifying kind of message. Whether you're a preservationist, conservationist, you're anti-hunting, you're pro-hunting. The bottom line is we just want our wildlife species to be balanced. We want our outdoors to be safe. We want our water to be clean. Um, and it's kind of an American, you know, institution that we, you know, you said it yourself when you tour all over the nation and you see the amazing diversity of beautiful wildlands we have from Glacier National Park where I'm at and the Captain Mountain Wilderness to the Everglades and the, and everything you have out in Florida to all the cool, uh, you know, hard hardwood timber that Wayne has up in New Hampshire for bear and moose and everything else. This country is amazing, mm, yeah. you know, absolutely amazing. And I, I think just by vocalizing that and sharing stories without pushing anybody in any one direction, to be a hunter, let's say, but just to, just to appreciate the outdoors is a good method. And then all those, uh, you know, Wayne, some of the conservation agencies we've yeah. like the like, operation we're, game we're thieves. Lines. A lot of those are nonprofits that, that yeah. we work with. And I'm a former president of international wildlife crime stoppers, which kind of encompasses all of North America, uh, which is a <laughs> nonprofit foundation that provides grants to agencies that need them, game wardens that need help. Cause financially, sometimes we take it on the chin. And so they had, they have, sure. um, 
you know, grants that they can actually give out to those people and uh, for their Operation Game Thief trailers. Because one thing we do is we do a lot of outreach to the public, so we show them the poaching. We also show them the success stories we've had with catching poachers. So, you know, you pull up to a fair or a, a venue with all these deer heads in there and everybody draws over and comes sees the deer heads. But each deer head has a story there because it's in there because it was seized. It was an illegally taken deer, moose, turtle. We have a walrus skull in our Operation Game Thief uh, uh, trailer that we seized in New Hampshire because it was had scrimshaw on it that was illegal. It's actually fake scrimshaw, so it was probably taken illegal. It, it, it could be legally possessed by a, na- a Native American in Alaska could have sold that if it was scrimshaw and signed. But the way it was done was illegal. So that tells us that whole walrus is illegal. So we saw that on a Facebook post in New Hampshire. And we did a warrant. One of my more aggressive guys was like, hey, hey, boss, this is what I found. Can we do a warrant on this? I'm like, and he had all the research already done. This is why it's illegal, this, this, this. I'm like, okay, let's do a warrant. We knocked on the you guy's door. Right <laughs> yeah. case for the lieutenant. Wayne. Yeah, I love yeah. It. So we went and got our walrus skull, and boy, does that add some conversation to something? Because here in New Hampshire, there's a there's a walrus skull with ivory tusks in our Operation Game Thief trailer, and I tell that story, and people tell that story, and now we're educating them to a that we're not just the deer out there checking hunting licenses or drinking coffee. Um, we're we're, right. we're, <laughs> we're well, doing. You are, other, but there's a lot more to the There job. is a lot more yeah. to. We are doing the. <laughs> we are. <laughs> you gotta keep the balance, right, Barry? Got to keep the balance. Oh, yeah. you gotta have your coffee. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. So you know, support us in, in in those other ways too. But that that's great. You know, if people want to actually give some financial support or even, you know, memberships are cheap for international wildlife crime stuffers for individuals. I think they're thirty dollars a year, if that. Um, and just to, to be that force multiplier had that decal on your vehicle um, and to be our eyes and ears out there to help that way is just it's it's john's right we can't do it by ourselves the best cases we ever made we didn't make them on our own we got a tip uh and that's cool mm-hmm. and and breaking down that uh the society that i started in and did 20 years you were a rat if you told the game warden and i used to have this farmer yeah. would tell me a story a story that was all truthful and factful, but it was he wasn't being a rat. He just told me a story about how this moose got poached, and if I was going to poach a moose, it'd be in a big Cadillac with a big trunk, and it wouldn't be a big moose; it would be a calf moose. <laughs> and and, and I asked him, well, what color <laughs> Cadillac would that be? Oh, it, it was like a grayish <laughs> Cadillac, you know. But he he wasn't a rat because it was that can't right. be a rat, can't oh, be a rat. Man. And I I preach be a rat. Be a rat. Guess what? I'm going to tell the game warden. I'm going to tell them that you're doing stuff wrong. Uh, in our recent warden's watch with Carlos Gomez, a, a, a church guy was out there poaching like crazy, and the, and like the guy, crazy. the other, yeah, the guy sitting next to him in the pew knows this is his best friend. And he can't handle it anymore. He has to call Carlos because he tells this guy, "Stop poaching! You got to stop poaching." You know, here's a guy that goes to church every Sunday, is out poaching, and finally his his brother church member says. Uh, I got to call the game warden. I can't stand this anymore. So please stop him. <laughs> and that's right. how we make that case. You can't do that. <laughs> I don't understand the serial poaching. I don't, I don't get how many deer do you need? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. This guy was the you Robin know, Hood. He was, he was killing them and having them pay for the butchering. It was more about the kill, I think. It, it's, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting scenario. You should, <laughs> 
No, yeah, no, thank you. I know, I know. <laughs> it's hard for normal people to wrap their heads around this because it's not normal. <laughs> it's not normal. It's not normal. You know, the people that just want to go wantonly kill animals just it's yeah. one step away from serial killers, but, and yeah. it is a, in a way a serial killer. You know, killer, and so. that's Barry. You're hitting it on the head. That's mm-hmm. the the small percentage of people we run across, and it's it's something we can't fathom because how precious wildlife is, and and you know. People that don't hunt and don't fish or just aren't conservationists, they look at and go, well, wait a minute, you're hunting and killing animals, but you love wildlife. Mm. That's an oxymoronic argument. How can that work? And then you explain the conservation model and how it benefits wildlife, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But then you get those serial killers. You really do. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, we run across guys that are one step away from, you know, maybe it being even worse than just massively killing animals. And that's... (laughs) You know, we talked about the sixth sense and you know this, you know, reading people well in your business is when you contact these guys uh, or gals in some cases, it's just eerie. It is right. dark. You know, you just feel a sense of darkness, you know, and, and there's just, there's no light in that scenario, you know, and, and that's where the spider senses are going. You know, you're on your weapon, you're ready. Uh, it might be a more aggressive uh, contact or vehicle stop. And we've been there and done that. And uh, I, can't, I can't fathom it you know, to this day, how disgusting it is to see that. But there was a small percentage element of people out there doing that. And the impact is, is just exponential on damaging wildlife. That's why, you know, we use the thin green line term, um, you know, very specifically, we are a very, very thin green line and grateful, <laughs> we're grateful to you for being part of it uh, because of what's, what's being depleted out there. So there's that as well. And, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because we didn't really talk Wayne about, you know, that serial killer mentality that we've seen. And, you know, and for a game warden, that's like, that's like the case of a century. When you catch somebody that's massacred 200 bucks, you know, during the rut in the winter range, anywhere, say out here in the West, what that stopped, what that has helped the species recover from the impacts of something like that, that one crew can do. It's mind blowing. You know, it's absolutely mind blowing. So, um, yeah, that that's what we're what we're targeting, and that's the small percentage we're out there for. Mm. That's great. That's great because I mean, to cull that many, I mean, I can't imagine how quickly that would decimate a population in that Absolutely. area. Absolutely. Right. You know, and you think I, you I, think how many hours how many hours you spend in your deer stand, enjoying every moment and not seeing a buck, you know, yeah. and waiting and waiting and and not and not complaining about it, just glad to be out there. And then when you do finally get that to be harvest, out there. you're like. Wow, man, I got one. And if I don't get one, hey, it's not the end of the world. You know, my family's not going to starve. I got some meat in the freezer. And, you know, I think I, I think I shared with you, we're on the average of getting a buck every two or three years or a couple of bucks here in Montana. And it's just the magic of being out there. And then you see these slob killers <laughs> taking 20, 30 deer at night under a spotlight when they're in the breeding cycle with these tr- magnificent genetic trophies. Uh, to put it, put it back, man. It's just, it's heartbreaking. And we get, we get very passionate about catching those guys, as, you know, as you can imagine. I, I can imagine. I can yeah. imagine. Cause you know, you're right. Not every year is a lucky year. My, one of my partners in my hunting club, he's not having a good year and he's mad yeah. as hell about it, you know? <laughs> um, Cause we keep seeing it in our little area. We keep seeing this beautiful group of three does walking and we're like, there's gotta be one behind them. Where's he that buck? Been there. <laughs> he hasn't been there. This year. There's nothing more frustrating than, sitting in your stand watching those three to walk right under you. Yeah. Sit there the rest of the day. And there's yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. Where's that tail sniffer? We need a bug. We need some yeah. rut. I know you're here. I always I, say, I, I, I know you're here. I always, I always say if you get a good buck every year, you're either really good or you're cheating. So, and that's my job to yeah. find out. 
Um, and yeah. I, have a, I have a friend that gets a good buck, and he doesn't get one every year, but it's close, and it's a really good buck. And every year he calls me, and he wants to tell me very detailed. He goes, I can bring you out there, Wayne, and show you, or I can bring a game warden out there because I know your policy, and I want you to know that I'm really good. <laughs> right. I'm fair chase, man. But he cherishes those years he doesn't get one, too. He's like, hey, I didn't get one this year. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> I mean, this year was my first good size buck. I've had a couple in the past, but not a good size. This was yeah first in very know, 11, special. 12 years of getting a good one. Yeah, that was a that was a great buck, but that was uh, yeah. you know from Florida, California standard man. That was a monster. Mm. He's a big guy. I've got his. Uh, I ended up. Uh, can you turn the camera so we can see it? I'd love to yeah, see it, man. I'll grab it and probably be that easier. would be awesome. Yeah, please share it. We'd love yeah. to see it. Because Patreon guys would love to see this. Patreon girls and just it's to see the well, studios. Guy. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Oh, I like got the high. Ass. Yep. Nice yeah. height. But what's neat about it is he's got nice. this. Um, let's see if I can point it out. He's got a hole. Nice. Oh man. Char- character. He's got this <laughs> yep. weird hole that was bored through, and then on the back side you can see where he had a tine broken off here probably last. You know, early in the season or something, I can't tell. It just nice. looks so broken off, and weird. I love. So he's got character, character, and that's yeah. That's what I really like about him. I'm actually going to end up mounting him to a broken symbol. And that would be. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> hey, that, that's the drummer's mount, man. Josh oh, might have to yeah. copy that with one of his deer. That's awesome. I like that. That's wow. awesome. <laughs> that's personal. Yeah, he's got yeah, some I mean, good eye guards <laughs> on him, Barry. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, for Florida, that's a good sized deer. They get a little bit bigger because. You know, it's where I hunt is the border of Alabama, and Alabama gets some giants. But uh, for Florida, that's that's a happy day. Nice. Yeah, congrats, bud. That's great. Yeah, great, definitely. So, as we uh, as we kind of wind down, bud, is there anything you want to tell our audience um, from the standpoint of um, what you stand for, what you'd like to see out there, uh, what we what we all do together moving forward on the Thin Green Line? I, I think the most important thing and the biggest takeaway is, you know two things to keep learning. Cause I know I am, you know, I'm young in some of this, I'm, I'm old in tooth when it comes to being in nature and, and fishing and things like that. But I'm very young in the, the hunting area, but also it, none of that matters if you don't go out there and just enjoy nature. Mm. I, I think it is being lost on our, our younger generations and on people in general, they don't realize yeah. how special nature is. Um, I'm very lucky that I enjoy it and I'm teaching my daughter to enjoy it. And she's very much into it. She's not into hunting at all, but she enjoys nature. Awesome. And I think if anybody out there listening to this, watching this, the biggest thing is teaching somebody else, whether it's your family member or a friend's family member or a friend's friend of a friend's kid, take them out in the woods and show them how special it is. Even as a camping trip with uh with uh, your kids can change their life forever. You realize so yeah. much more is out there when you do this. Mm. Yeah. Well said, well Definitely. said, pay it forward. Mm. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. Pay it forward. Cause people are forgetting about it. They're, they're yeah. lost in these, these wonderful technologies that we have that we all need and use, but that thing outside is getting lost. Yep. Amen to that. Well, man, it, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it, great covering <laughs> a lot of good, a lot of good stuff, man. It's I fun. Mean, I enjoyed yeah. this a lot. <laughs> yeah, we did yeah, too. Thanks for coming on the show. It's it's been good to finally break this down with you. And uh, thanks for having look me. Forward to, look forward to seeing you on the road, and and hope you guys get back on the band track sooner than later. And best to your bandmates and uh, all that good stuff. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And uh, again, if you guys ever need anything in the future, I'm I'm here, so don't hesitate to ask. 
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.